Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the host of the Sendcast and the managing director of B Squared. Each week on the Sendcast, we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools, and to empower parents. In this episode, my guest is Alison Knowles. Alison is an emotional therapist and she supports emotional resilience. In this episode, we are talking about why we are the way we are. The longest possible titles we have using only two and three letter words. But before we get started, have you heard of the virtual SEND conference? This is a conference here at B Squared we started running in 2019. And it's all about making CPD for SEND more affordable and easier to access. We want to get everyone trained in SEND. The conference runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the videos whenever you need to as they are always available. We have now run four conferences. There are a total of over 50 sessions that are now available. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. In this week's show, we are discussing your reality. The reality you created, what created it, and how you can change it. Joining me today is Alison Knowles. Alison is the creator of the Ollie Model, the author of the series of Ollie and his superpower books, trainer of Ollie coaches, and an emotional therapist. Welcome to the show, Alison. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. I like this idea. We have all built our own reality. We all create a reality based on what we know, our experiences, and the information we choose to listen to. Our reality may be limiting the things we can do, things we believe we can't do, because of previous experiences or information we have chosen to listen to. I like that. I do like that. Because it is, is as you think about all those experiences and it's shaped from those, your predecessors' experiences and what is expected of you at school. And it does all shape your thinking. It completely does. And it, and it kind of follows on from what we've been chatting about, about external locus of control and the fact that you're, you're always looking externally for almost a pat on the back and that you're doing it right and that you don't step outside of that because this is the way it's always been this is your lot in life and it's a learned behavior you weren't born with that you know if if we took a newborn away from its environment and put it in another environment it would have a completely different outcome there's a lovely um example of this where there were two twin boys and they i think they were fostered or adopted out i can't remember exactly how it went and one went to a family that were having a bit of a hard time should we say and the other one went to a family that really didn't seem to have a care in the world. Now, these lads were identical. And yet one of them went on and became a lawyer and did really, really well, settled relationship, everything hunky-dory. And the other one just just hit sand bunker after sand bunker, didn't achieve at school, struggled to get a job, couldn't hold a relationship. So what's going on there? It, it's not who you are, it's the reality that you're surrounding yourself in that is making a difference, nature and nurture. Definitely. There's, there's actually, um, which is what you mentioned, there's a documentary on Netflix about a similar thing. Basically, it starts, it's quite, the way it's done documentary, it tells the story, so you don't know where it's going to go. But it starts off with this boy going to college, he's moved to a college elsewhere, and he literally turns up, walks into his room, and as he walks out, this bloke goes to him, I thought you weren't coming back. He's like, what? I thought you weren't. And people kept saying it. Oh, you're back. And he's like, realised someone who looked identical to him 
Luke was already at college there and had moved off. They couldn't believe it was the same person. They ended up taking it over. And basically, they tracked it with their twins. And, and so on. And this was absolutely phenomenal and wow and couldn't believe it. And then this was got in the news, I think it was in the 70s or early 80s, and it got in the newspapers. And uh, they're reading the story, this person reading the story, and they turned the thing and looked at it and went, oh my God. <laughs> and they're sitting next to another person who looked identical. And it was a series of triplets. Wow. Okay. And as it goes through, you find out that this was actually done on purpose. And there was a whole thing of studying and it was looking at nature versus nurture, basically. It was a study done in America. You're listening to it. This is really mucked up. But basically, it's, um, they all had an older sibling. Right. So it was almost these families were chosen to sort of see what effect it had. Probably were, but that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother. But I, it does, <laughs> it's really interesting. And with this reality, you think about a lot of people take on the profession of their parents. I think they take on a lot. If you're talking to little ones and you ask them their views about anything, it's not their views because they don't have any yet. See, this this is where we get a little bit confused because our children can be quite articulate. And we're talking little ones. And you think, all oh, right, you know, they're, they're using those long words. They're, but they're, they're almost parroting. They don't know yeah. what those words mean. And they're mirroring and parroting you, which is what this is all about. They mirror their, and parrot their environment. But what we forget is that they are incredibly intelligent. I mean, children, some of them can speak two languages. I struggle with one. They're dangerously intelligent, but they don't necessarily have any wisdom. So they haven't got a database yet of cause and effect. So consequently, they'll just go along with anything that pleases you because they want you to love them, make them feel safe and respected. They want to get it right. They don't want to get it wrong. So they will follow along with everything you believe until they hit the teen years when their adult brain starts to kick through and it starts to go, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> But we don't like that, do we? You see, we were, oh, teens, oh, awful teens. But the truth is the thing we don't like about that is they're rebelling against us and they're rebelling against everything we believe. And beliefs are so important to us as a human race. All of us have beliefs, whether it's religious or otherwise. And if anybody challenges them, it frightens us and that's why we get defensive. And that creates a reality tunnel. But we have to have these beliefs. And there's so many times where you can literally hold evidence up that proves that what you believe to be true might not be, really. I mean, it's, it, this evidence absolutely wipes it out. There's, there's no way this is true. But you'll overlook it. You'll also you'll, you'll kind of negatively hallucinate and not see it or hear it rather than have your belief damaged because it's so, so important. And that's what happens. So children are born into reality tunnels of their parents and they will follow along. So if mum and dad sort of believe as mine did you know you don't escape from brigadoon the bridges either end and that you know university is not for the likes of us then then you'll grow up believing that or more importantly you might not believe it but you'll grow up accepting that's the way the world works that's the reality and how many times are we told the reality is no 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 the reality is whatever you create or whatever you choose it to be i think i i'm i'm, I'm quite fortunate my parents did their own thing which almost gave me the belief I can do what I want. So um, my mum at a young age ended up moving to Australia. I think my granddad won the pools and they used that cheap trips to Australia and went and lived and built houses in Australia. And then 15, 16 years later came back and then moved to Southport and had a fish and chip shop and then this. And then my parents went, well, let's move down south. Cause, and, and just 
all these things they did, they didn't just sit in one place. They went all over the place and different jobs and you talk about them. But my mum was a teacher and so there's obviously certain things. Like you can do what you want, but my mum was a teacher, which has led me into education. My dad was a programmer, worked for IBM for years and various other stuff before that. So Tekken has influenced me. Those two are probably the biggest influences, but also you can go anywhere in the world. It's probably another thing it's given me because they did go anywhere. They went everywhere. And it just, and I think my sister's the same. My sister just, every time she moves, she moves to a different part of the country. It's like she gets bored. I've covered everything here. Let's go somewhere new. See, everybody says, you know, it's, it's, it's socioeconomic, and to a point it is, but it is nurture and nature because, I mean, I, I love people watching. As a therapist, it's really good training for me. So I, you'll often find me sort of sat in the calf just watching and, and earwigging because people fascinate me. That's how I grow and become better. And you, you, you'll hear certain town that will remain nameless and this young people, they were like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to go to, I'll use it as an example, I'll be for the show. And, and, you know, oh, I don't like it there, you know, you can't get a decent British breakfast and they don't speak. And, I, and you're listening to that, but if I listened the other direction, there was another couple talking about, well, we've never been to Thailand, I know nothing about it, let's, let's give it a go. And it's, you know, what is it that, those two people, they may well have gone to the same school. So what is it that allows one to think outside the box of what's always been, therefore we always should, which is, as you know, one of my gripes about most things. It doesn't have to stay the same. And those people that are like, well, hang on a minute, let's let's try something different. What What is it? How do we do something about it? And I truly believe what we do is we we work with the children when they're young and we get to them when they're really young and teach them about their emotions and that what they think and feel is a part of them, not who they are. And that, you know, there's not a lot you can't do. You can put lots of reasons in the way as why you can't. You can create millions of limiting beliefs. We're good at that. Oh, it's not for the likes of us. Oh, we'll never have that kind of money. Oh, people like us don't get those jobs. And you can put those in place and they make your beliefs real, don't they? Which is quite comforting because people get, you know, there's a, there's a true thing. Lots of people are afraid of trying. Why? Not because they'll fail they might succeed and that's more scary that's interesting i when i was younger i uh, grew up in the lovely beautiful picturesque town of croydon and london was a train ride away it was it, that was a commuter town you'd head up to london and, and my dad did that and stuff and so and we grew up and i got bored of the what you could do on a nightlife in croydon and we'd go up on a train to london and for my 21st we all met up in croydon Right, we, and we, we said we'll go out to London, and everyone went, no, let's, can we not just stay in Croydon? Safe. And uh, <laughs> we suddenly went from 20 people on a night out to four people went up to London. Everyone else was kind of, no. We, we are so creatures of habit. It's what we know, what we've been taught. It's the way it's always been, so that's the way it always should be. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I agree if it's not broke, don't fix it. But if it isn't working as well as it should, maybe you should have a little bit of a dabble, eh? You know? But in reality, in some ways it could be broken, but you don't know. Arguably, yeah, because, you know, nothing stays the same. We, we, we move on. Look at the new now. This is a whole new way of being. Are we going to change anything to go with the new now? Well, we kind of are, but we don't like it, do we? We've got to wear masks in shops. We've got to do this. We've got to do We don't like it because it's different. Different scares us. We don't know. We're not in control. Yeah. I think people, it's, it's easy when you choose to make a change is one thing, but when you're being forced is a very different thing. Oh, completely. And again, if we take it back to special educational needs, 
kids with autism, etc., any change is frightening. Actually, I don't. I don't think the majority of parents realise that if you haven't got a kid with autism or special education, I because I, I, you know, I get kids of all sorts, and the parents are going, "Oh, it's been a nightmare having them home." And I'm thinking, I know it has, and I'm sure it has, and it's your your unique night nightmare because everything's unique. But I don't think they realise that the slightest change is such a mammoth damn thing for someone with additional needs and how important it is. But that's that's just a projection of all of us, really. You know, we go, oh, no, he doesn't like change. None of us do, if we're honest. No. As someone, so you, you travel a lot with your work, and I've travelled for years with B Squared. And since lockdown, it's like, nope, you're here. And uh, I use Google Maps tracking, and normally it shows you, this is where you've been this month, and I've been over the whole of the UK. And like a month later, it's like, you've been nowhere. And that kind of hit me ho- hit home that I was like, you really haven't gone anywhere. I'm used to once a fortnight, it used to be a lot more, but generally I'm down to once a fortnight, I go stay in a premiere in somewhere in this country. I haven't slept, I haven't slept in premiere for ages. And it's just one of those things I sit there going, generally it's a good thing. So I've got more of routine. I'm seeing my kids more. There's another part of me going, I miss just being somewhere else. I miss slightly different experiences. I miss certain things I miss. Do you know what I'm, I'm finding quite funny? As much as we're all going, oh, we don't like change. Once we have changed, we don't want to change back. So last night, to be here for this, I stayed in a hotel not far from here for the first time in five months. In fact, it's the first time I've stayed away from home in five months. And as you say, I travel a lot and I used to be in hotels more. I was nervous as heck. I was just not comfortable. I couldn't settle. And I'm a therapist and I had to literally say, what's this about? Hang on, you've gone from not being comfortable at the change of not being able to go anywhere and do what you normally do to now being too comfortable in it because we're very good. We adapt, don't we? Yeah to now not feeling comfortable. But I think that that's an interesting point because we do adapt. So I went from being really outgoing and travelling everywhere and not thinking twice to I actually don't want to go out the front door. So we do adapt, but we adapt based on, I think, control and fear. If we're frightened of something and we're frightened because we don't know it, so we're not in control, I think that affects us a lot. So wouldn't it be good if we could teach people to not be, to see that as a challenge? I heard a lovely quote the other day, the way to deal with a problem is not to be part of it. And it's so, so true. Separate yourself from the issue. Stand back and look at it. And then you can you can see clearly, you can see that all the cliches, wood from the trees and all of that. But you can you can find another way and you can make better decisions or different decisions. Yeah. And I suppose when you're when you came back returning, I suppose some of that anxiety is going to be around the whole covid and what will that hotel be like in this covid so it's not going to be the same hotel i return to yeah it won't be the usual premiere in there's extra stuff and i yeah i find i'm a bit nervous of hotels when i went away this summer i i went for a couple of airbnbs around the uk so i could get away and have somewhere different but i'm not walking down corridors trying to squeeze past people who are walking down the middle not worrying about corona and the whole breakfast situation and various stuff. I thought, I don't want that. I just want, I want a place that I can just not worry about. That, that was a really interesting thing because when I did sort of stop myself and have a word with myself last night, I realised that I actually wasn't worried about whether or not the hotel had a good enough cleaning regime in place because that's mine to control. I control my environment. So it's up to me whether or not I'm happy they've cleaned it well enough or I give it a quick wash around myself. I found what was making me anxious and cross was I was following the rules. I had my mask on and there were people walking around the hotel without a mask on. I mean, what's, and that was what was really, it wasn't COVID or getting sick. It was other people 
not doing what I was doing, which supposedly is the right thing to do. And that, and I had to really have a think about what was that about? Why did it bother me? And it was a part of my reality that if they're rules, we should follow them and people shouldn't be allowed to not follow them and get away with it. And that brought up all sorts of, oh, what's that about? So then you start looking back to where did I learn that about following the rules? And and it's, again, as cliche as it is, it's childhood, which is why we've got to start there and start teaching kids how to manage their emotions and their reality. And it was being at school with dyslexia and getting told off for stuff that other kids weren't. And it, and that sense of unfairness just really rose up in me. It was nothing to do with the cleanliness of the hotel. It was a really interesting experience. I think, I think that... Um following the rules you think people should follow so some of them are the rules that are given to us yeah but other ones are so moral aren't they it's moral but it's also what is disgusting so um somebody who's always lived in the center of london what they think is disgusting is probably the smell of cow manure yeah. whereas a person who lives on the farm and does everything that farm entails with all the animals, their level of disgusting is going to be completely different. Completely. Again, it's their reality, isn't it? What what they perceive to be the reality, the only reality, the only truth about their world. And my whole point is that we create it every day. We change it every day. You and I sat in this room. We might be able to agree that the tiles are sort of a dark colour and a light colour. Uh, you might agree I've got a red T-shirt on. If we really drilled down, we really wouldn't agree with much, and yet we're in the same room. And I think that's where therapy goes wrong a lot as well, and I think one of the things that we really bang home is, and we've gone on about uniqueness and boxes, but it's so, so important to me, because if I presumed that you had the same reality as me, you were seeing what I see, you were feeling what I feel, you had the same beliefs that I have, then, you know... I'm going to be doing you a massive disservice because you're not. And as a therapist, if I then took that information of, oh, well, you're feeling anxious in this room, I know why. It's the same reason I am. You know, it's a little bit claustrophobic in here. And then I again then began to diagnose you as claustrophobic because of my reality. Massive disservice again. So I've got to sort of step back and accept that your reality is completely different from mine. But then what I've got to do is get you to say, well, Take responsibility. You you kind of created this. There was a time when it was enforced on you, but now you are creating it. It's not real unless you want it to be. But an interesting thing that happens with therapy, one of the questions we ask, I think I've already mentioned this, but it's so, so powerful. I'll, I'll always ask when I first meet someone, how would you be or who would you be if you didn't have this problem of anxiety or whatever? Yeah. And they'll say, oh, I'll be happier, I'll be lighter, I'll be this on. And then I ask the real question, what would you lose? if I took away or helped you not struggle with anxiety? And they're like, well, I wouldn't lose anything. I'd feel better. But the truth is all behaviour serves a purpose. So even something like anxiety, fear, anything you can imagine, or the reality that you've created that you don't like, it's serving a purpose. And to some point, that will be around control and safety. There's a whole big thing about that whole, if you could get rid of anxiety, what you wouldn't, you wouldn't just be happier is your future could have a very different outcome because there's various things that will change and it's a bit butterfly effect. One little change here could just will completely change the angle and it could change your current relationship. It could change your work. It could change. It's infinite, the it amount is. of changes it's, it could cause. It's, it's the equivalent and, and this is why you need to not have boxes and labels and one-size-fits-all therapy. If you throw a stone into a pond, you cause ripples. 
Now, by throwing that stone in, you might sink anxiety. Well done, you've done your job. And that's what current therapy does. That's not well done at all, because what you haven't done is taken into account the ecology of that change and how it'll affect. You're right. Maybe your partner's only with you because you're a bit anxious and nervous and that makes them feel big and strong and good. Yes. You know, maybe if I've removed that anxiety, you might have to face up to some stuff that's just so overwhelming, it's easy to stay anxious. So, but again, it doesn't have to take months and be technical. It can be dealt with very, very quickly, but it can only be dealt with, I don't care what the issue is, I stand by this, it can only be dealt with quickly and effectively and long-lastingly if we stop fixing, healing, preaching, and we start teaching. Literally, I have kids in school. We do this thing called Ollie Kids Program, and it's about 10 kids, 10-week session, lunch times we do it, and I teach them how to do what I do. And at lunchtime, they graduate, they get a red shirt, and at lunchtime, <laughs> no, they do, they're gorgeous. They take turns each, it's playtimes and lunchtimes, and they're out, out there, and the other kids know, you know, if you're a bit anxious or worried about something because we taught them some simple, cool techniques to deal with that, go and see them. And there's nothing more beautiful than watching. You teach a child how to manage something, and then they teach others. They don't need us, don't need labels, don't need boxes. One generation won't need therapists. I'm not a dreamer. It's true. And it's because we can show them that anything that you're going through right now is what you're going through. What you're feeling is what you're feeling. It's where you're at. It's not who you are. It's the reality right now if you want it to be. Yeah. But you think about a tunnel, your reality tunnel, and imagine it's quite dark and gloomy, depression. If I knocked one brick out, light would come in. Changes it completely. Think about two ocean liners. This is my favorite one. One ocean liner is the you that came to see me with whatever your issue is, and it's headed in that direction, and you just know where it's going. Your reality is this. It's not going to change. Yeah? All I need to do is put a little bit of self-doubt in there and just nudge your compass a fraction of an inch. And all of a sudden, that second ship, this new you, is going off in a completely different blimmin' direction. And it might not seem far much at the beginning. No, but it will grow and grow. The whole horizon changes. You don't need massive, massive change. What you need is to empower people, give them the tools to make that slight shift because that slight shift changes everything. I think it's, it's fear is such a big, big thing. And fear is um, it's a bit of a safety thing, as we've talked about anxiety. But then there's fear of the unknown. And for some reason, that for some people, that is the biggest thing ever. The unknown. I love the unknown. I will just go yeah. in, guns blazing, <laughs> and just go, what will happen will happen. There's, a, there's an advert on TV at the moment, and I scream at the TV. I think it's about joining the Marines or something. And it's like, most people have this fear of the unknown. And, and it's going on about Marines to train not to fear the unknown. And I'm thinking, that's so rubbish, right? Because you can't fear something you don't know. You only get scared once you've learned to be scared of it. Until you've learned to be scared of it, you're not scared. So how can you be scared of the unknown? It's unknown. Well, no, because it's, 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 <laughs> it's not the unknown, because it's basically what you're saying is everything we know about on this world, they're prepared for in some context. They're not actually prepared for 22-headed aliens. Hmm. There's, we've prepared for all the stuff you know about. So yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's still a perception, isn't it? So 22-headed aliens suddenly land, okay, you can have a reality that anything that's different is dangerous and I need to be scared, whereas I might, and this is a perfect scenario where you, you'd be, oh, 22-headed aliens, save me, Ellie. <laughs> I might go, hi, guys. 
how's it on your planet? And they might be lovely. It's it's perception and reality. You obviously wouldn't work well in the American uh, army. <laughs> work well anyway, mate. But it, it's all about perception. And again, I keep coming back to it. Can we change the way things are? Yes, we can. But we do it by getting to our kids. Because if I can teach a child that what you believe to be true right now is because you want it to be. But if there's any bits in there that aren't nice, if they're good bits, keep them. That's a good reality. Keep that. But if there's any bits in there that aren't nice, should we change them? Because we can. Here's a question for you. I mean, just thinking as I'm going, so it might make no sense. You might just dismiss it very quickly. Is there this sort of this reality tunnel? Is it kind of linked to deprivation? So yeah, it's linked to everything. Anything you experience will create a brick in your tunnel. So there's a school near us, and they use their pupil premium money yeah. not for doing extra English or extra maths. They've realised that some of these children have never left the local town. So they use that pupil premium money to take them somewhere else for a day. Lovely. And it just opens up their world to this is it's not all this. compasses? What's that? Not use their compass. Yes. And it just opens them up. So I think... There is a thing about deprivation people premium where they don't have huge amounts of experiences. Their their world and their tunnel could be quite small and narrow. And as you said, with your St. Neots and the bridge at either end, this is what it is. This is all you get. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. But again, you know, who's going to tell you it does? People that, well, my dad. Well, it's not for the likes of us because that was drummed into him and it goes down through the generations. But within one generation of the kids we're working with now, they're going to be parents and and, and their kids are going to go, Mom, you know we live in St Nitz and there's a bridge over end and we can't get out every 100 years. Does that mean I'm stuck here? And hopefully the, the parents that are coming through from the work that we're doing are going to go, no, the bridge does open every 100 years, but, you know, you could get a boat or you could just walk across that field or you could... It's interesting. One of the things being, um, I love tech and the internet and various stuff. Is so for your dad, it was the information came in certain ways, and you had your position in the world. Yeah. Whereas, I think tech and the internet and YouTube and unlimited learning and limited possibilities, and anyone can access that without limitation. I think it helps people to dream more. I think I think you can access more information, which is always a good thing and travel and everything, everything's more accessible. But it wouldn't matter because it still comes down to that premise that you could have access to everything. You could have all the money in the world. But if your head's not in the right place and your beliefs about yourself is that you're not deserving, you're not good enough or you can't cope with anything new, you still won't enjoy it. So I think regardless of what you're given and what you're given access to, you've still got to have that teaching, that learning that says, do you know what? Okay. This might be where you started, but it's a bit like a race, right? You start here where it says start and you end over there where the flag is. But you can move that flag. I can't change where you started, but you can move that flag wherever you want. How cool is that? That's cool. But it's doable. We're doing it every day. And I really do think that will keep so many, well, not even kids out of therapy, but, you know, we get an awful lot of young teenagers. The guys that are a little bit out there on the edge are a little bit different. They're getting picked up on the internet by weirdos. They're getting, you know, city gangs, city lines, whatever they're called, all these. But they wouldn't if they had that sense of self-worth. And to be honest, most of us don't. Adults, we don't have no. it. But I'm telling you, we can give it to children. And they will have the ability to say, Do you know, that sounds like fun. I'd love to sell you drugs for you, but uh, busy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to fit in that badly, okay? I have self-worth. We can do it. It is. I think that self-worth, that belief, I think it is, 
there's lots of pressures and I do hope and I am um take this in the right way, please, ladies. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> if you apologise before you say it, we're already bracing ourselves. No, because I don't know that person who says something. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one of those. I've just become. I'm not one of those. I'm not going to be racist, but I'm definitely not in that camp. <laughs> but I don't know if this would cause offence. I don't know. But, but it, before you say it, then no one can make you think or feel anything you don't allow yourself to. So if anyone is offended, they're allowing themselves to be. Okay, thank you. That well, I won't apologise next time. <laughs> But there was a lot of worry, and there's various people I work with, and when the lockdown happened, I was worried about hair, and blokes just grew beards, and women were, various people were worried about hair colouring and things like that, and oh my gosh, I don't want to see me. I know the media exaggerates it all, but there was that sort of feeling going mm. on. And then it was like, oh, you can get locked down, and everyone's imagining that stampede, and certain hair salons opened at midnight on that day, and things like this for this stampede. And one of the things I've heard is, the stampede never happened. The stampede, there weren't all those people going there. And I found that really interesting. Now, is it because we're not all going to offices, therefore people don't feel pressured to get their hair done and look lovely and do all this stuff because they're sitting at home, they're not actually going into world where they're being judged? I think you're right. There's, I think there's all of that. They're not going into offices. We're not going out to restaurants. We're not going to nightclubs. You're on furlough. You probably can't afford a decent hairdo. I think all of that's true, but what I hope is true is that at some point your hair has got longer, it's not the right colour, the grey's coming through, and you just go, do you know what? I'm okay with this. This is all right, yeah. yeah. As we said on a previous podcast, I think there's a lot of good to come out of this. People are thinking for themselves a bit more and saying, you do what you want, me, I'm just going to take care of my environment and my family, this I can control. And you know what? It kills me having to get up three hours early so I could do the hair, the makeup, wear those shoes that kill me all day. This is me, and I quite like it. Yeah, but it was. It was you look left, you look right. What's she doing? What's he doing? What's he wearing? And you're just fighting with each other and competing. And yeah. and I hope stuff like, I'm going to say Cosmo, it's not the only magazine available, <laughs> but it is one of the ones everyone thinks of is how to please your man, how to beat that one, how to do this, how to do that. And it's like... What a load of rubbish. But, you know... What a load of rubbish. And it fuels fear. It fuels a lot of things. It does. But, you know, the people that we've been talking about, we need people to start having the belief in themselves, which we have to teach at a young age, to not look externally for decision-making, whatever it is, whether it's about you need a label for your kid, you, you need to go to the hairdressers. But I think there'll always be people, adults, until we get to every kid in the land start teaching them, that... Their reality is, I am not good enough, therefore I have to compete. For you to respect me, I have to wear designer this, I have to drive the Jag, I have to... I remember, I was one of them, because when I was in construction, I, I loved it, right? Because the first time in my life I got a decent job with good money, so I was going on the nice holidays and being loud about it. I only ever drove a really nice sports car, bloody stupid, on a building construction site, got caught, stuck many a time, looked right to it. Designer suits, the lot, right? And I felt I finally fitted in. Yeah, look at me, look at my suit. I've got money, I'm doing well. Yeah. And when that all went out the window and I became a lowly therapist, I actually was given a tatty old van, right? It's got, the only thing holding it together is the rust. But just to get me out and about because I didn't have a car. First time in my life, I didn't have a car. And I thought, I can't be seen out in that. Oh, my God. And then something changed. I love driving it because that van doesn't define me. Well, that's not true. No, I think it does define me now. It doesn't matter. It's just a means of getting from A to B. When I can afford a better one and there's nothing else I need to spend my money on, I'll go and get one. But you know what? I kind of like that van. And I like what it says about me now. 
I'm comfortable. That's the thing. It's, it's certain things. I, I, I like that. I do think you agree. And I'm hoping, I'm, I, I, I don't know what happened with the magazine world, but if we, to me, if we're not going out, if we're not going to Tesco's, if we're not walk past news agents, people hopefully aren't buying magazines. And I hopefully some of that listening, we've kind of hopefully broken a bit of a cycle. Well, an interesting thing's happening because uh, I can't talk for other therapists, but I'm getting asked to do a fair few interviews by magazines that would not have given us the time of day before. You know, who needs therapy? That's below us unless it's, you know, mummy and daddy. But now they're realising that actually their readers want something different. That's good. So maybe, just maybe, it's beginning. So they might get rid of the uh, take this personality test, what type of woman are you, get rid of that sort of rubbish. No, they'll still do that for another generation until the Ollie kids start coming through and saying, I know who I am. Thank you. Don't need that. Yes. yes. I do bash things, but I, I do sit there and I, I am Mr. King sceptical. I look <laughs> at things and I just call BS on. I just don't like things. I literally go, that's a load of rubbish. I just weigh things up and go, you don't need that. But as you say, some people feel they do. Yeah. And, and you know, you have to respect that. And again, as a therapist, eating disorders, massive thing for young and old, but I hate it in kids, boys and girls. You see, everyone thinks girls, anorexia, boys, the pressure on them to have the six-pack and be designer, TikTok, that should be shut down. But they're under this social media pressure and they think that if they don't look a certain way, then they're not going to fit in, they won't belong. It's primeval in us, we need to fit in and belong. But again, we're teaching kids that you can fit in and belong even better just by being comfortable. The most attractive thing about a person is that they're comfortable with themselves, not what they're wearing or how damn thin they are. No, generally it's the smile and not a smile for the camera. Yeah. It's the... This is me. The in, was it the enduring smile? that I, I'm living my life and I'm happy. And there, yeah. there are people you just meet who just ooze happiness. Because they're confident, they're comfortable with themselves. They're not continually looking over their shoulders and double-checking that this is okay if I do this, is it? It's like, well, I'm sorry if it's not. No intentions of offending or hurting anyone, but I am going to do this because this suits me. And it's, I suppose it's the people who aren't even looking what path they're on. Yeah. They're just walking through a wilderness, enjoying it, rather than constantly checking, am I on the right path? Are we going to be cliche here and say it's a journey, not destination? Oh, yeah. but, it, but it so is, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. But we're just focused on the destination, get straight A's at school. What about the journey of learning who you are and what you want to be? Surely that's better. And that whole, going back to that journey, is... And the your reality that can be infected by your siblings completely, and that's a big one. That um, and I think I think parents as you as you get older, you kind of forget how it, the impact of that first child, second child, third child, however many children you have. But I've got two daughters, and my eldest is a bit unsure on things. She has a bit of anxiety. She's just a bit unsure. She had no one to follow. She's my youngest. It's fine. My sister's already walked this path. She's already got to the secondary school. And she just goes in, guns blazing, not a care in the world because she kind of knows it's already going to be okay because somebody else has already walked that path. She's following it. Now, at some point, in certain ways, she does make her own path because she they are very different. But certain things like that just gives that second child and confidence because they've seen there's, someone else. There's something else going on there as well because, yes, there probably is that going on between the siblings. But what's also going on is you're not as nervous because you've done it once. So number two, you know she's going to be fine first day at school. We might have a few tears. She'll settle because number one did it. And the kids feed off you. If, you. if you're safe, they're safe. If you're scared, even if they don't know why, they're blimmin' terrified because you're their rock. 
Yeah. You're the, the God. You know everything. They have to completely trust and believe in you. You create their reality. If that's not a safe reality, ooh. And it can go either way because there's so many uh, sort of things to fall down because then if you're not worrying about your your youngest's first day as much as you're worried about your eldest's first day, you, you don't love that child as much. Of course you don't, no. And it is just, it's an impossible, impossible maze to get through. It is. Um, but, but I think, stop trying. Stop trying to get it perfectly right. Just go, I am doing the best I can with the information I've got. And, do you know, sometimes I get it spot on, sometimes, oh, my Lord. But, you know... I'm doing the best I can. I'm not setting out to mess it up. I'm just doing the best I can. That's all I can do. And I'm not going to beat myself up about it. That's one. Of the, I think for me, one of the things that I found really invaluable as a parent is allowing myself to be vulnerable. So basically letting my children know that I have feelings and that they do annoy me. <laughs> and maybe an hour after they've done with they've moved on with it because they didn't see themselves as rude I'm still saying yeah I'm not interested or when it comes to you know sometimes work isn't always lovely is it work isn't always bliss and lovely and happiness it's sometimes really stressful and there's things when there are things when you're trying to get to and you work long hours and it's it's letting kids go you right I go no oh what's wrong and you give them a soft version but it's kind of letting them know that you don't always have to be okay. I, I think that's really, really important because, again, you know, they are what we create. We are their environment, where they're learning, where they're learning from. So if you're always, no, no, I'm fine. It's like, why why aren't boys allowed to cry? It's because dad doesn't. Yes. Why doesn't dad? Because dad didn't. So, yeah, I think, it's, I think it is really important. But age appropriate so a lot of people are saying you know how do i explain to my child about covid my first question would be well, why do you need to oh well shouldn't i well if they haven't asked no i wouldn't bother and if they have asked what specifically i remember this lady she came she said oh my child's really really worried about covid i don't know what to do i don't know how to speak to them i know you say age appropriate but i don't can you deal with this and i'm like well no this is you've got to but just tell me what's going on so she brought a kid along little girl and i said you all right? She went, yeah. And I said, uh, so mum's a bit worried about you at the moment. Is there anything worrying you? I did not mention COVID because for all I know, this is mum's fear, not hers, and she's projecting. And she said, yeah, a bit worried about that. And I thought, okay. So I said, what do you understand and what is it that's worrying you? I didn't just go bowling in with, well, actually, you know, most grandparents won't make it or whatever the blimmin' news is saying this, well, this week, this hour, because it was it might not have been appropriate. And thank God I didn't because she said, well, yeah, I can tell you exactly what it is. So I said, okay, what is it? And she went, I don't want to wear a blue mask or what, a pink one. So I said, oh, yeah, I don't blame you. So if we can get you a pink one, all right? Yeah, that'd be good. Game over, job done. And yet everybody, parents' reality was that the kid was going to ask about why they can't see grandma. Is she going to die? Are they going to get sick? All these things that are worrying the parent, and it hadn't crossed the kid's mind. To be honest, youngsters... If it's more than a foot away, it's of no interest whatsoever, and we forget that. So we go into – I just love oh, – I have to tell you this one, sorry. This lady, she said, I have problems getting my daughter out, out in the morning on you know, in time for school. It's a common one, isn't it? It won't get – so I said, okay, what have you tried? And she said, you know, I'm, I'm very patient with her. So she said, uh, this is a recording of yesterday for you. So I said, oh, okay. And the recording – I won't get it word perfect, but it wasn't far off. I think her daughter was about seven. And she said, Amelia, she said, okay. If we don't leave home exactly 20 past eight, then we won't get onto the A14 in time 
to miss all of the traffic that's trying to get through to Cambridge and Felixstowe while all that maintenance work's going on. And nobody knows whether to go left or right where they've done that new junction at Fen Stanton. And if that happens, then I won't get into Cambridge to drop you in school before I'm late for work. And then I could get a, a verbal warning. And if I get two of those, which could well happen with how long these roadworks are going on, I could get a written warning. And that could mean I would lose my job. Now, if I lose my job with Britex at the moment and the current climate, I might not find another one. And she went on. Honestly, this went on for 20 minutes. And I thought, do you know, it's lovely that you took the time to explain. And she said, how did I do? I went, I only got one thing to say. And she said, what? I went, she's seven. <laughs> she doesn't care. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's irrelevant. It's over her head. It's not, it's not a concern because it's what I said earlier about, you know, kids are dangerously intelligent. She probably understood most of that. But no database. It doesn't mean anything. No. Lose your job. Get another one. Yeah. What's the job? Yeah. There's another one. Just very quickly. Mum brought her daughter to me and she said, and this is again where we're preconceiving what the problem is. And she said, she's heartbroken. She's sobbing all the time. She's inconsolable. There's nothing I can do. And I said, okay, well, you're a mum. What, what do you think? When did this start? And she said, oh, it's simple. Me and her dad are split up. That's what it is. Vexed. That's what it is. Okay. Assumption. Mum went for a walk and left me a little. And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, sorry about your dad. And she went, yeah, that's sad. And I thought, that's sad. That's that's not you crying inconsolably. Mm, Watson, something else going on here. So I said, yeah, yeah. And she said, oh, it's all right, though. I know he still loves me, and I see him at the weekend, so it's okay. It's not great, but it's okay. But they don't love each other. She's only about seven or eight. Bloody brilliant, yeah? I said, right. So mum said, you're really, really upset, though. So what? And she went, I can't tell you because you'll tell, call me a starfish. No, shellfish. That was it. Shellfish. She couldn't say selfish. <laughs> I said, try me. And she said, well, she was one of these kids that was a little bit, little bit large, a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit not fit in the in crowd. So she was a bit of a loner, never had many friends. But at her last school, she got put in goal in the hockey team because nobody, nobody wants to play there. So she got shoved in there. Yeah. The thing was, she was blimmin' brilliant at it. She was so brilliant at it that she got to play in goal for the school team. And all the girls in the in crowd that were in the hockey team suddenly liked her. And they sat with her at lunchtime and they invited her out to parties and weekend shopping. So for the first time in her life, she belonged. She had a sense of belonging, sense of self-worth, and she had friends. When mum and dad split up, mum couldn't stay in the family home, had to move somewhere else, away from that school. Mum doesn't drive. So the thing that was breaking this kid's heart, she couldn't play hockey, didn't belong, didn't fit in anymore. That's a big impact for that child. That's what mattered to her at her age, age appropriate. That's what really mattered. That was what's scary. Everything else is grown-up stuff. She can't control that. But this mattered. And her mum did call her selfish when she came back in and I explained. She said, I'm trying to put a roof over her head. I'm trying to. It's like, but mum, that's your stress level. She's more than a few foot away. It's not relevant. No, it's, it's, it's what they perceive as important. Exactly. And we forget, you know, they're intelligent, but they don't have a database. Don't waste your breath. I mean, it's lovely, A14, and waste your time. <laughs> and it's also, it's um, me and my sister, me and my sister have talked about things about, like, uh, old kids, why aren't they outside? Blah, 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 blah. And, oh, if I could. And you sit and go, right, back when we were kids, there were three or four channels, and that was it. Yeah. Now it's unlimited, so you can find anything. So basically, yeah, you got bored of the, what was on TV because generally children's TV was only on for a couple of hours on Saturday morning and then it started getting good about half five on a Saturday evening. 
And then you had to, everyone, we all watched the, um, was it the Antiques Roadshow on the Sunday at the end of it because there was something on afterwards. I don't Some know what. surprise, yeah. There's always something on afterwards. And it's like, oh, come on. But they don't have that. And then you sit there and go, oh, you have no idea how lucky you have it. Yeah, you've just said it in that phrase. You do have no idea how lucky you have it. Therefore, you don't appreciate, you don't understand the context. But then I don't appreciate how it feels for you either. Different realities. Different realities. But it's, it's about respecting that we all are living in completely different realities, which is why we can't give advice, shouldn't judge. No. Because we've no idea. And, do you know, I, you know, I'm the same. I'm like, oh, God, you know, I used to love sport. Why aren't you out there doing it? Well, is it accessible? The schools have changed. There's no competition. Is it safe? It's been drummed into them that, you know, you know, any, any stranger danger and all this. We've suddenly made outside dangerous. And what a, what a shame, because right now, I remember when I was growing up, I would come back, cuts and bruises and been in the river and God knows what else. My immune system was strong. I, am not, I wasn't sanitised because I just sat in my room on a screen. And that, that's got all sorts of, I'm mean, going off a subject a little bit, but a huge, huge issue with screen time. It is what they do now. Don't fight it. It's the way of the world. You can fight it. You'll kill yourself doing it. You need to work with it. But I have lots of kids with no social skills. And the reason they don't is because... They come home and they, my mum said, I said, you know, why are you saying he's got no social skills? No, he can't share. He's got no empathy. Has he got any friends? Yeah, he's got lots of friends. Good friends? Yeah, lots of good friends. Yeah, they're all blooming online. He's never met them. The yeah. world's changing. We've got to adapt with it. We can all moan, but we've got to adapt and find the best way forward with it. I think one of the things is um, like taking turns. When I was young, we had a BBCB <laughs> and we played Chucky Egg and some other games. But I remember like being six of them in a six of us in a room, and we each took our turns. And if you were rubbish, your turn lasted 30, 40 seconds. If you were good, you could be on there for 15 minutes, but you just sat and watched and usually waited your turn. With modern gaming, every person needs their own console. So brothers and sisters are on different devices in the same house. There's no waiting for each other. So there's lots of little things. I think that's a whole podcast in itself. There's a whole load but... of things. But one thing, I, I personally, I'm a gamer and tech. I would rather my children were playing games than watching TV these days because at least you're part of it. Or... I'm not, I should just be clear, I'm not saying Grand Theft Auto level. I'm not or, saying or that. Or Fortnite. A load of my youngsters play Fortnite. Have you come across that one? Oh, my daughter loves it. And Do you know the rule, the, the thing behind it. I had a go just because I need to know before I sort yeah. of go, mm, not sure if this is a good one. And you, you start as a team, and the idea is that the team wipes out the weakest link. So they're your group of mates, but they kill you because you're letting them down. And then it carries on into the playground. That's a really nice kids' game, that one. So um, my daughter is actually quite good at it, and the boys won't play with her because she keeps killing them all. So that's quite entertaining for that one because she's only a girl and she beats them. So there's a whole gender thing on that. But, yeah, so Fortnite isn't the best, but there's Roblox, there's Minecraft, and Minecraft is just Lego on a screen. There's a lot of stuff going on with Minecraft. Whatever your thoughts are about, you know, how much time kids spend screen time, it's the way the world's going. Let's be honest. You know, jobs are going to be, well, they are now. What are we all doing? Even me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur, but I have to do everything online on screen. It's the way the world is going. And we can kick and scream against it. And all that's going to do is cause us problems or we find a way to work with it. And the way we work with it is we regulate it. We get more involved so that we're aware of what our kids are seeing, hearing, who they're mixing with. 
but we're not going to stop it. It's 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 unstoppable. It's too big. We've got to work with it. But there's also there's a big lack of evidence of all this danger that everyone says. What we do is we look at it in our dinosaur way, and we've grown up going in this path, and then we try these games and we look at how it affects us. But it affects us based on all our experiences. Exactly. Whereas a child who hasn't had any of those experiences, it has a completely different effect. So you can't say, well, when I play it, it does this to me. It's like, yeah. And there was, um, was it Our Children of Our Time, one of those programs with um, the famous doctor who does genetics, British thing, BBC thing. And they were saying, oh, yeah, so this bloke here, he would stay up until one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, playing games as part of his clan online with his headset on and doing all this. He's going to sleep really badly. He's going to struggle because all of this stuff's going on in his head. And then they monitored his sleep. He literally put the game down, got into bed and was out cold and had really deep, good sleep, woke up at the alarm, got up and lived a day. And they're literally sort of just you, based on their brain, dealing with that versus his brain dealing with it. And again, we're, we're back to realities and we're back to, you know, control and fear. If you don't understand something, it's terrifying. Internet banking terrifies my mother because she can't even turn a computer on. If she was 20 years younger, it wouldn't because she'd be used to it. So fears about things we don't know and we can't control. I saw a last thing on this gaming thing. I saw a really, to me, an entertaining thing is this will be the last generation where they have to explain to their parents that they cannot pause an online game. But arguably, this will be the last generation where there is an online game because, and let's just really throw mud in the water here, the reality tunnels we're talking about that we create for ourselves based on our environment, nature and nurture might prove to be that we are just a blimmin' computer game, and from here in, everything else is virtual reality, and there are no more games and screens. We just go live it. That's I a thought to close with. I don't have a problem uh, with that. Uh, and if you uh, if you if you've seen the the film Ready Player One, yeah, go read the book Ready Player One. The book is very different, different level, and it goes into that. It was against everything I believe. We're human. And I think one of the biggest issues in the world is we're losing our humanity. We're using we're losing. All the things that make us humans. It's there in a different way. I've recently reconnected with a group of friends who I haven't seen for 15 years. We, I was into car audio and there's now a group on Facebook for us all and we're all sitting there going, where are you? We've all suddenly got kids and all this lot. But it's a real sense of community. Even though I haven't seen them for 15 years, I know them all. And to me, there is a whole community thing, but it's different. Yeah. It's just... It's not the same. And my mum sits saying, oh, back there when we when I was young and my mum grew up in Mossside in Manchester, there's those community, you'd go down to the pub and you'd know most of the people, all that lot. And I'm like, so you want us all to go to pub and drink lots? <laughs> the communities are there, but it's spread out across the world. But it's, it's again, it's, it's a think, reality. You're, for you, that reality's fine. For somebody else, it's not. And that's okay. Both are okay. Yes. Because they're your choice of your reality, provided it is your choice. Forced on you, that's something else or believing you can't change it, that's not right. But the, the thing is, and there would be world peace, my God, we're getting on to some big subjects, if we just completely honoured and respected other people's rights to their reality, provided that reality wasn't harming them. And, and again, that's their choice, only they can choose to change it. And one thing which I always say about tech, you've heard it say on this podcast a lot, when you're on Fortnite, when you're in a chat room, when you're on social media, your disability 
everything about you is kind of hidden. You can choose to be who you want to be. You can kind of leave your your physical disability at the door and go. So there's certain stuff I love about tech that you, especially in, like in chat rooms on Facebook and things like that, you can only judge people by the characters they are typing into that screen. I agree. That is a very good positive. But the flip side of that is what a sad place to be if you're a young chap or girl with a disability. The only place where I'm going to be accepted is on a screen where nobody can see me and I don't really exist. Who says? That's horrible. Are you saying there's memories you create and they aren't real? <laughs> oh, I got you back. <laughs> no, I just think I'm completely off base here. I have no idea. I think, every time I say positive, you go, you come, no, don't devil advocate me. I want, to, I want to get something in here. I've got one there. I've got one there. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. No, yeah, re- your reality. I think it's a really good one. And it is, I think what we've all got to realise is we are much more in control of our reality than we realise. That's the big thing or from this. Or we could be, yeah. Or we could. Well, in fact, we, we're ignoring it. It's still our control. <laughs> but no, it is. You can sit there. You can listen to your parents. And right at the beginning, based on the information that Ali gave me, as I said, that you believe things you can't do based on your previous experience or the information you have chosen to listen to. And I think with parents, you think your parents are that fountain and all knowledge. You think they know everything, so you'll listen to your parents but you may not listen to other people because they're conflicting with your parents. And you've got to work out at some point that that stranglehold your parents have on you will decrease. And as you said, that's the teenage years where... It is. And, you know, you say stranglehold, but again, you know, every parent's doing the very best they can. So, But it won't feel like that if your wings are beginning to spread and you want to fly. My my dad said something, we finished this, that's always stayed with me. He said... He thought life was like one big school and there are five classrooms and then you graduate, whatever your beliefs are, what graduation might be. And he said, what year do you think I'm in, Dad? And I thought, well, he's a bit older than me, so I'd say, you've got to be in about year five. I didn't want to say six because obviously that means he's out of here. I said, about year five. And he went, right, right, yeah, that'd be about, yeah. And he said, what year do you think you're in? And I thought, well, I'm not a puppy, so year two. He went, yeah, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And he said, here's the thing. He said, what if I told you you're in year five and I'm in year two? And that has stayed with me ever since. Age doesn't come into it. It's that point, and I think it's it really helped me when I realised that actually I was not rebelling against my parents, but I was questioning, you know, oh, it's not for the lacks of us. I started to question it. Did that make me a bad person? No, it just made me realise that, you know, just because dad's dad doesn't mean that everything that he said and believed was more wise than anything that I'm capable of working out for myself. No. And I think that's an important one, and that will help you bust out of your reality tunnels a little bit. I think I think when I, when I became a parent, I talked to my sisters and reflected on my childhood, and I sat there talking, and there are things I didn't agree my parents did. There are things I agree, but I can also sit there and say, but they did their best. Absolutely. There was nothing done out of hatred. There was nothing done to get something for them and not for me. It was all done through love and forward thinking. And there was stuff going on there that I sit there and I can sit there and hand on my heart say that I actually had a really good childhood. At the time, I didn't appreciate it. Yeah, of course you didn't. At the time, I really didn't appreciate it. But I think it's as you become a parent, you look back and I sit there and go, wow, that's why they did that. That's why they did that. I truly, truly believe Every one of us is doing the best we can with the information we have. Yeah. Now, that information is 
the library in your reality tunnel. If it's somewhat limited in that that's not for the likes of us who steer, then, you know, you're limited on the skill sets that you have. But my point is we can teach from a very young age that whatever your reality tunnel is, if you like it and it's good, great. If it's not, you can change it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank you for coming to today's show. Really enjoyed the uh, conversation. <laughs> but was it real or is this kind of a computer uh, programming? There is no spoon. <laughs> there is definitely no spoon. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely thank you for coming on. We'll be putting a couple of links to all the stuff about Ollie in the show notes uh, and Alison's contact details. And you'll find the show notes wherever you listen to the podcast, but also on our website. Big thank you for listening to the show. As I always say, if you haven't subscribed already, please do. And you subscribe by going to our website, www.thesendcast.com, where you'll see all the different places you can listen. Um, and you can also listen on the website. You can also sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with everything we're doing. And alternatively, you can follow us on social media. So Twitter at The Sendcast, Facebook, The Sendcast, Instagram, The Sendcast, or on LinkedIn, just search for The Sendcast. And one day I might do those four in a different order, but not today. And if you want to get in touch with me, let me know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else. Please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed The Sendcast, please, please look into the virtual Send conference. Change your reality tunnel. This is a conference that, like the Sendcast, is run by B-Square, but it covers all aspects of SEND. And what makes it different is you access it across the internet. No travelling, no anxieties about hotels or anything like that. The conference runs twice a year in March and November, and each conference has 12 really, really valuable sessions designed to help you now with something you can take away and implement in your school. So you can buy tickets for future or past events. The videos are always available. So you can buy access to the first three we've run. The fourth one is coming soon. And the cost for each conference is £60. And this covers the entire school, not per person. So just be clear, £60 gives you 12 talks you can use in your school forever. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code SENDCAST10. And if you are a parent, please look into Parent Talks. It's the same approach, but aimed at parents, aimed at supporting you as a parent. And the cost for Parent Talks is £10, again, for 12 highly valuable online talks. To find out more about both of those for the Virtual Send Conference, it's www.virtualsendconference.com. And for Parents Talks, it's www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash Parent Talks. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And take care, everybody. Stay safe. Bye.